Welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you focus on your why. My guest this week is Joshua Gabriel Oluwashei, who is the founder and executive director of Learn Blue, which is an organization committed to educating Generation Z about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and supporting students in promoting those goals in their communities around the world. Joshua has a unique path to his own environmental activism, and I am so glad I got to talk with him about his work. So without further ado, Let's get started with this episode featuring Joshua Gabriel Oluwashei. Yeah, so me, I have a thing about talking about myself where, where, it's, where it's like um, I don't want to just because, you know, my work is so vague for the most part. But um, my story, I, I guess, um, which is which I, which I um, sort of used to inspire people. And I became a climate activist in 2019, um, just when I was about 18 years old. But the reason why I became an activist was because when I was 17, a couple months to my 18th birthday, you know, I'm sure you know this, but obviously for the listeners, I learned about my um, allergies to air pollutants, which is such a weird thing to say, even to this day. It's like, how on earth are you allergic to air pollutants and air pollution? It makes no sense. But I am allergic to air pollutants, you know, fumigants, um, harsh deodorant, um, pungent, you know, smoke and exhaust from cars. And, you know, I could keep going on and on. Um, so basically, I live in a city, I lived in a city called Lagos City in, in you know um, Nigeria, and it's quite literally infamous for being like the home of traffic. It's like New York, right? But a lot more chaotic and a lot more people just moving mad. Um, so you know, there was almost sort of no escape. I lived in the suburbs of Lagos, but whenever I had to go out of my sort of town, there was almost no escape from like this sort of excessively polluted atmosphere, which meant that I was always, you know, dealing with my allergies. So whenever I went out, I always had to have a nose mask on before the pandemic. So I am so cool with it now because I've been wearing the nose mask for like a year plus before that happened. Um, or I have to like carry an inhaler depending on how insane things get. I'm not asthmatic, but the symptoms of my, of my allergic reactions can be very similar to asthma because you know, my chest compresses and I cannot breathe properly and then I'm, I'm sneezing and I'm coughing and I get chest pains and it's just as though someone is trying to rip me into two. Um, and sometimes it even gets worse where I become very tuberculosis, like where, you know, my coughs are not even normal. They are very harsh. It's almost like I'm trying to cough out my chest, which can be very painful. Um, so I think, yeah, when I found out I was allergic, initially I was like, no, right? Like, that's not a thing. And then I figured it was a thing, but I think I also have to do a lot of work convincing my um, folks, my, my, my guardians, that I am allergic because obviously I'm, I'm African and you may not know this, but in African homes, when you say you're allergic to something or you're, you know, it's like you're looking for an excuse not to do certain sort of chores at home. Because I found out because we were having a, a sort of spring, spring cleaning where we're fumigating the house to get rid of, you know, insects and whatnot. So that was when I learned about it because it was so much concentration of fumigants in the house. I was breathing that in and, I, and like I, I meet a cap. I had been having symptoms before that, but I was like, you know, it's casual. Um, so I had to do a lot of convincing, but obviously I'm not a doctor, so that wasn't going to work. But I think eventually I went to the doctor and, and my, my, they, they confirmed that, you know, I should 
perhaps stay away from like things like that. And like, oh, you actually are allergic, how weird. Um, but I think just learning that wasn't enough, I guess. I attended a, a conference where I was a delegate, um, this sort of chin making conference called um, Teens General Assembly in my country. And in that conference, um, I just attended because, you know, I, I, I had always been very, I mean, I've been very like climatey from from small. When I look back now, I I planted a tree when I was like thirteen, and the tree is all grown now. And I'm like, oh, it actually all makes sense. You know, it was sort of like a path I was going to take eventually. So I attended this conference because it was sort of about you know climate change, but also just leadership, right? And not just leadership, but like young people who are leading. And I, you know, um, was there, and I saw a lot of young leaders. I saw global team leaders. I saw United Nations representatives. These are Nigerians, not foreigners. These are black people who live in my country, who live in my city, who are doing awesome work in their communities, who have traveled the world, who have spoken at international stages. And I'm like, okay, um, Joshua, what are you doing with your life? You know, like, how? Like, I mean, no, he's hi. How old are you? You know, oh, he's nineteen. You're you're like seventeen. You should be doing something too. So, like, I left the conference after like five days with a sense of I needed to do something. Um, I think initially it was just the, I wanted to do something for my community. It wasn't necessarily climate change. It was just something, anything, because um, I wasn't this much passion. I didn't want it to just like die down after a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, I I started researching. You know, just like what would I do? And I think one thing that resonated with me a lot was during the conference. Whenever these speakers spoke, whenever these teenagers who are friends of mine now, um, thankfully, whenever they spoke, they were always telling stories. They were always talking about how or why they started, you know, what it is that they are doing and why it should matter. And there was always this sort of, it's always personal. It was always, that's why, that's why I got so intrigued. Because I love how it was always personal. I was always, you know, somebody either not having not being able to talk about something that happened to them. And for that reason, they created a blog, you know, to sort of amplify voices and, and you know, amplify other people's voices or somebody who saw a bit of female um, FGM happening and were like, you know what, I'm done with this. This is wrong. If it was my sister, what would I do? And they started non It was all of this storytelling. I was like, okay, um, what can I do? And I think just casually because we're Gen Z, I Googled sort of, you know, what, what, like, what is the impact of, air pollution you know on, on on our health right and just to like see if it's even a thing the allergy because it still didn't make any sense to me like why am i allergic and i'm not asthmatic and to my surprise just after going through one and then two and then three and then four and then five pages which pretty much morphed into a research i learned that you know in the year 2017 the year just before the year sort of discovered my allergies over 100,000 people have died from air pollution related ailments you know in Nigeria which I am so certain is a deflated figure because we don't have like the proper like um you know statistics in place to actually track these things properly so if we get 100,000 that means at least times two of that which was alarming for me like wow people are dying I mean we've always had a sense of you know Lagos is very polluted for one so people are probably dying or are really sick from it but I never thought of it as such a big deal like people were actually actually dying you know and we actually numbers to back that up so I just I just got into like a rabbit hole of like wow okay what else do I not know and just kept learning and learning and and, and I think that was when I made a decision to I think initially it was to the goal was initially to create awareness not necessarily about climate change but about our health and environmental health, just like, you know, I learned about the global goals uh, months before. So I was trying to like connect the global goals to 
you know, the work that I'm doing with just like my, my ailment or my, my allergies. And I think for me, then one thing that sort of resonated was just obviously climate change, um, good health and well-being and, and things like that. And so I, I yeah, I, I, I was a social media manager, which is the part I don't often talk about. Um, so I had a lot of residual, you know, I, I dare say, knowledge about social media management. I was, you know, obsessed, savvy. I mean, I'm Gen Z, I suppose it's like almost a given. So I was quite um, active on Instagram. So I, I was always, you know, posting and, and sort of trying out new trends and seeing what works. So for me, it was just, how can I call attention to this thing, right? How can I call attention to the fact that people are actually dying? But aside making it morbid, um, how can I talk to my generation? Because I think a huge part of my activism or my change making is not the fact that I you know, um, talk about climate change. It's the fact that I, I, I recognize very early on that Generation Z individuals, you know, um, um, have a lot of, you know, stake or a lot at stake in terms of global warming, right? I live in Africa, I live in Nigeria. If you know any African or any Nigerian, they will tell you, you don't talk to your elders like the way you would abroad. You, I can say, hey, mom, um, so, you know, you probably should stop like buying things like plastic bottles just because like climate change. You, or I couldn't necessarily convince all, all adults and say they should change their habits. So I think for me, I quickly decided, oh, what is the best route to go? What is a route that you can take that's not necessarily easy, but relatable? And I figured, oh, teenagers, my generation, we're all 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 17 year olds, um, we're all on social media. So um, why not use social media to talk about this thing? Uh, and initially I started sort of making sort of tweets and and, and, and I created Lemblue. Um, I, I created Lemblue um, as a means to sort of create awareness about obviously um, the global goals generally. At best then I, I narrowed it down to like the climate change and, and equality and all of that. But, you know, over the first couple of months, it wasn't, um, we weren't doing a lot, right? We weren't making a lot of impact. Yes, we were active on social media, but I don't think we'd really tapped into like what made us tick. And I think um, it was when I when I had, I had an interview with a TV in my um, city and I went to the studio and as soon as I was done with the interview coming out, I had seen like this very polluted waterway that was blocked with like non you know, non-biodegradable waste, like plastic waste, foil and, and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. I took a photo and then I was, I was going home and just in a different, like there we have the mainland and the island in my city, Lagos. And then I was on the island. And I'm like, I saw something very similar in an open environment where people sold food, people traded, people walked, people passed to work, people took buses, like where it was like a living breathing health hazard slash environmental hazard slash ocean life hazard it was just everything you didn't want to see as an activist or as a potential activist so i took a photo too i'm like okay this is messed up um and i just i just felt like i mean one day i just told all my friends who um, are twitter influencers i'm like oh hi guys you know i'm gonna make a tweet about something i saw um if you see just help me share it casually I, it was never a thing of oh it's the lemblu campaign or it was just let, let me do it because i felt like it and I was burdened by it. And then I posted that um, and, I, and I got my friends to retweet it who had quite the following at the time and even more now. And 
you know, it went in its own right, went viral, right? Um, it was something about, I mean, it was a trend for what it's what. It was a trend about, you know, polluting your environment and why you should not and the health impacts of those and then eventually the environmental impact. And in my country, that's not exactly the kind of thing that goes viral. <laughs> it's not a reality TV show. It's not about the latest music from the, from David or Whiskey. It was, you know, the most boring thing. But so many young people resonated with it. They were like, oh my God, you're so right. We should do more. We should do better. Because I made a point in, the, in this tweet, which I sort of have framed now, where I said, obviously, we cannot keep blaming our governments about things like this, like environmental issues. Yes, our governments, you know, have a lot of responsibilities to play. Corporations have a lot of responsibilities to play, but we are the corporations. We are the governments. We are the people who get elected, you know, we're the ones who, who become directors at these companies. So, whilst you're blaming them, remember they were once in your shoes. So what can we do? What can we as young people do or as individuals do to help mitigate the impact or effects of climate change? And yeah, and then it morphed into this sort of, even more, we made another tweet and got even more attention, you know, hundreds of thousands of people saw it and people were like, oh, what can we do? And then we morphed into a, a cleanup campaign and, you know, we, we mobilized and went out and cleaned our cities and spoke and, and basically Lemblu was sort of like, established like we just that was when we made like our stamp like this is us and this is Lemblu and this is what we're going to be doing for the next couple of years and since then it's just been going on and on it's quite a story I love it it's a great story so I would love to just continue on that path and have you tell me some about Learn Blue and the work that you're doing with the organization that you of course founded what is the mission of Learn Blue and I'd love for you to tell me more about the work that you're doing with the organization now Awesome, awesome. Yes, of course. Yeah, um, I think our mission has not really changed over the past couple of years. We've we've always been a nonprofit that's all about uh, we are use the word inspiring or um um motivating or something of the sort, but it's all about it's all it's it's always been about like inspiring Gen Z inclusiveness in creating, you know, um sustainable solutions to global issues um, we did decide recently that that was too cumbersome and too like you know technical and sounds like what you would hear at a harvard review so we, we we narrowed that down basically to something anybody could get which is basically we are inspiring gen z um individuals to take action on issues that are a threat to our lives or issues, issues that we're passionate about because climate change is a threat to our lives um so i've always i've always taken i'm taking it from that perspective of like this is this is what we've been doing for the past couple of years. We've been inspiring people. We've been using social media to either create campaigns to raise awareness on issues or to amplify campaigns. And I think one of the one of the most prevalent or prominent work that we did, which the media doesn't even cover, which is so weird, is during the Amazon fire, before it became a sensation and everybody knew and our celebrities were posting you know, inaccurate photos and whatnot because we were all trying to help, I suppose. Um, we had heard about the fire from people, friends who live there, and we're like, okay, why is this not getting enough media attention? There was no like media coverage for like the first 16 days of this sort of global or environmental and ecological crisis, a biodiversity of, you know, rare ex near extinction species were basically burning and the media was doing whatever they were doing at the time. So we took it upon ourselves to create sort of a bit of a video that told the story in like one minute of what was happening and how people could help, you know, created petitions, created um, videos on Facebook and on Twitter that went viral and just had people, you know, aware that this was happening and obviously direct them to resources where they could donate or where they could sign petitions. And and, and I think that that, that that's sort of like what, what we've done um, ever since. It's either where the ones 
once we are creating the campaign or we're putting a bit of spotlight on it because we are known for that, because we have an audience that expects that of us, it's easier for us to kind of, you know, say, this is what is happening in, let's say, Nigeria. You know, X, Y, Z is happening and you should be aware. So we use all of our resources. It could be Facebook advertisements. It could be, you know, just because we have, I think I think what, what, what we leverage most on is the fact that we have such network and, and a bit of a brand power, I dare say, where like the Lemblu brand has been developed so much that when we talk about it, it's what we're known for. Like when we, we're like one, like the one campaign, but obviously way less, way less than them. But when whenever there's an issue that nobody else is talking about, we try to put a spotlight on it. Oftentimes it goes viral, but other times it gets picked up from us and then amplified. And that's all we want. I think more often than not, we 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 we're very, very less concerned about like you know, maybe getting credits from it or you know, um, getting someone to say, well, this was started by XYZ. We just do it because we have to do it because. If we don't do it, well, our future, uh, at least my future, is at stake. Um, but yeah, like the work we've done so far, um, obviously the Amazon fire, um, we've, we've had, we had, during the pandemic, we had this campaign called One Plant, One Family, where, you know, because people were at home, if you could sort of, I, I, um, I could at the very least, you know, look at charts because I was obsessed and you could see that like the pollution levels had reduced significantly in Italy, in, um, 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 you know, across the world, quite literally, China even, um, Europe, America, all of these like industrial zones that were massive, that are, that are massive polluters, they did not stop, they just took a break. Um, you could see that it had reduced and the earth, the earth I, 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 I like to say at the time was healing kind of, um, because there were no planes flying around the world, there were no trains moving up and down, there were no buses or cars on the road, and there definitely were no, you know, sort of factories working, really, because of the pandemic. So we created a campaign where, you know, one plant, one family, where as your home, the goal is with your family, plant something. It could be a tree, it could be, you know, a flower, really. It could be um, an actual edible sort of fruit. It could be vegetables, as long as it is green, as long as it photosynthesizes, as long as it traps carbon from the atmosphere, you should do it. And we and we did we did that quite successfully. I think without any promotion, we were able to get about four four thousand families involved, which was quite insane. Um, yeah, and, and it's something that we plan on keeping going for the next you know couple of years. We're just trying to refine that. Um, but yeah, and also there was the issue with the Mauritius oil spill, where an entire there's a saying, there's a quote we use in one of our articles that um, before so God made heaven. And then he made Mauritius, and then the rest of the world was made. Mauritius is so beautiful. It's like, you know, the Maldives, but better because it has a better sort of locality and culture. It's beautiful, crystal clear waters. It's, it's biodiversity at its finest. It's got the best and the most diverse set of animals or organisms in this case. And then some corporation just had their ship sort of stuck in the middle of the, 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 you know, the pretty much, I guess, sea or beach and everything just went chaotic. So I think that was something that we could not even live with. And also because we had a team member who actually came from Mauritius who lives there because we work remotely. So it was very personal, very, very personal. So we sort of tried to create awareness around it, you know, um, there are a lot of resources with links to like where they could donate to help the people who live there whose most of their livelihoods came from you know being tourist guides or being fishermen or being something related to the sea and this source of livelihood was basically being halted because they were like what how many thousand i think four thousand tons of of, of crude oil been spilled into the ocean um so yeah it's, it's, those are the kind of works that we do and i think uh, currently we are i'm hiring we are expanding our team i'm quite we have like a lot of 
insane goals for 2022. Um, maybe not too insane because I feel like we've achieved them, but yeah, we're just trying to be more proactive. We want to not react to global issues. We want to try to prevent them now. And the way we're trying to do that is just to get more people to... Gen Z, uh, we are like one third of the world's population, I think, or a third of the world's population. But I know we have about 200 million, 20, over 200 million Gen Zers exist at the moment, which is enough to build our own United States, right? If we wanted to be a country, we could be a country as powerful as the US, if you know we wanted. So, you know, when we say individual activism, we're not saying not to work as you know a community or not to protest. We're saying that if everything, that's even far, if just 1% of 200 million of us decided to change their habits, to be more eco-conscious, to be more conscious about, you know, their carbon footprint and reducing it, to be more conscious about how much water they use, to be more conscious about, you know, what kind of plastics they use, and not, not even using plastics, that could go a long way in having such an insane impact on, you know, the ecosystem of our environment. It's all a, it's all a cycle. We treat that at Lembla as a cycle. So that's why we have, if you're polluting water, you're, you're polluting the air indirectly because it's, it just goes like this. It's, it's a carbon cycle. If you're using plastic waste, it has an effect on your carbon footprint. If you're polluting waters, it has an effect. If you're actually burning stuff, it has an effect. So everything is just so linked. And we try to help people understand that. Um, and yeah, for 2022, we're building a community, we're building more of a community than what we already have. And just we're, 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 we're trying to get people to join our team um, you know, across several positions. But yeah. That's, that's what we've been doing for the past couple of years. That's so interesting. And I love the idea of having this coalition working together to make the world a better place. And you're targeting a bunch of different issues, which is great. So I have one last question for you. Lots of young people, particularly college students, high school students, want to create change and they want to make a difference in the world, but they may not know how or maybe where to get started. Do you have any words of advice for those people who may be listening? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because this is obviously one of the most asked questions whenever I speak at conferences or webinars and obviously podcasts. Um, and I think I, I almost always give the same answer, but I think as we're getting to the new year now, I'm just going to change that up a little bit. I think what you can do um, is when you want to get into the door, okay, firstly, you need to understand why you want to get into change making. Because there's a huge, and I, maybe we don't say this enough, but I would, because <laughs> there is a huge sort of, misconception and disparity between being a change maker what that means and why you are a change maker like people nowadays because people like you know myself for example get featured on Teen Vogue or people like you know they are Greta Thunberg and all of that speaking at conferences and UN and traveling the world people almost see it as a sort of free you know travel lifestyle sort of opportunity where once you become a change maker you become like you know you know, you speak at events and, and you become like a celebrity. But like, that's not the case. Most of these people who have been successful as chain makers started, it's a lot of storytelling. It's a lot of being able to communicate why what you're doing matters, right? So if you want to get into activism or chain making or whatever, that's fine. But you need to first decide why you want to do that. And I think aside deciding why, this is now back to my general um, sort of advice is, what you want to do or whatever you want to create, whatever solution you're preferring, has it been done before? You know, is it unique? If there is an organization in your college or in your environment or in your school or in your locality that does that, if it's, if it's, if it's you know, period movement or period um, awareness, if it's, if it's climate change stuff, is there like a Fridays for Future, Andrew? Is there like some sort of local niche organization? Could you work with them? Could you volunteer with them? Could you 
you know, help them amplify their story. That's also a way to, to make change. I just mentioned the that we're, we're recruiting volunteers. People work with us, they've been with us for over two years. These are like change makers. They don't have, you don't have to own your own nonprofit. You don't have to, you know, start your own, um, um, I don't know, activism sort of movement. It's not a necessity. Change making sort of, sort of um, grow. I mean, I volunteered, like before I became a founder or executive director or award-winning social entrepreneur, I volunteered a lot. I still volunteer, you know, for organizations, no matter how small they are. If their missions are not with mine, if you work on trying to do, they already do it. It could be something around, let's say, education for Africans, because most people are not educated. If there's an organization that does that, I work with them, I partner with them. That is change making. I think even bringing it home more, I always reference the United Nations Lazy Man's Guide to Changing the World, which I tell people, if you cannot do any of these other things, because some person's lives are so, that different from how we think life is. Like some people are going through a lot, but the most you could do is change your behavior. It's it's a pattern. You don't just you know snap and become a you know climate conscious. It takes time. But embracing your climate anxiety, right? If you're anxious about the future and you cannot start a nonprofit because of you don't have the resources or because somebody's already doing what you want to do, or you cannot volunteer because you probably are in college and you're very busy then begin to do little things in your homes that will have a, a massive impact on the environment if a lot of you do it. For example, obviously we love to plug our phones overnight, right? And you know they get charged and they're full. And basically for every time you, you overcharge your phone or your laptop or your camera or whatever, you're, you're using energy. And the energy you're using is being sort of fueled by coal, for example, in the United States, right? Or from a dam. That's something people don't understand that every watt of energy you're using, actually, screw the, the, the energy bill. That's one thing you probably could afford it. But the reality is you're paying for it with the, with the environment somehow. Or even more particularly baiting, using the shower. When you have like a shower and a bathtub, I mean, it's great. If I had a bathtub, that would be awesome. But, you know, if you can consciously decide to use a shower most times. I mean, I read a research and that's got some point where, um, you know, they said, I think the bathtub takes at least five times more water to bathe than the shower would, which is a lot of, a lot more water, like so much more because obviously it's just chaotic and that has an impact on the environment. Um, it, it goes on and on and on, turning your lights off when you're sleeping, not leaving them on. It's all energy consumption, um, obviously, pivoting from using plastic um, sort of bottles and trans and going into things more like tin and then changing, just making sustainable habits. It's a great way to start being a change maker. And I, and I, and I, and I promise you, I have friends whose entire lives are literally just this. It's just about them changing their habits. And if you want to be featured on Forbes or whatever, you could still be somebody I know who does that is a, is a, is a, is a, you know, is an environmental hero. Again, it's all about this story. Why did you decide to change your habits? Why did you decide to, you know, become environmentally conscious? That is what we want to hear. And that is what inspires people. Um, but yeah, so I think that's my advice. I am so glad I got the chance to talk with Joshua because he has so much energy and so much passion for his work, and I'm sure that you could hear it throughout the episode. I am a big fan of the work he's doing with Learn Blue and think he's cultivating a really impactful group of Gen Z changemakers from around the world. I want to focus on Joshua's advice at the end of the conversation when he talked about how important it is to focus on your why when it comes to activism, advocacy, and changemaking. For Joshua, so much of his why comes from his own health struggles, but also from the overall impacts of climate change and the threat it poses to everyone's future. 
It is so important to have a compelling reason for your work. Because without that why, what's the point? And does the world really need that work that you're doing? So I'm going to challenge all of you to think about your why for the activism, the advocacy, the change making, or pretty much any other work you're doing. Because as Joshua has proven, change comes when you focus on your why. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can connect with Joshua on Instagram at Josh, G-S-E-Y-I, and you can find and learn more about Learn Blue on Instagram at at LearnBlueSC. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then... Be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.